Uh, my name's Tom. I'm one of the pastors along with Wade. I'm the interim pastor while we as a church are waiting for God to bring um, a new senior lead pastor to the church. So it's it's such a joy to be serving um, alongside the elders here. Uh, you guys, uh, I have to keep saying that every time I'm in the pulpit just because I'm so grateful to be here, uh, to learn from you, to grow with you, to... Um, and uh, I have a I have a post-it note to say to myself that I want to encourage you, uh, like I need to be reminded <laughs> to do that. Um, I want to encourage y'all, and I, I put this in the newsletter, uh, and I know all of you read that. And, um, you know, uh, there's a little, we, we, we have a way to know. But one of the things I was trying to say um, a few weeks ago was that you guys are a, a healthy church. And as much as... Um, you feel like, well, we've, we've been through so much. There's been so many things that happened. There's people that were here years ago that aren't anymore, that were really integral. All these things, yeah, I mean, I know, and that's hard. And I'm not dismissing it. I'm not making light of it. I know it's not something I was a part of. So you can obviously look at me and say, well, you don't know. You're right. But I also am an outside person coming in for the last bit and I see you guys praying, loving one another, being kind and welcoming to, to new people, not just some interim pastor, but to many people who visit and come here uh, on a weekly basis. You're friendly. You, um, you're taking time for an elder to get some rest. You're, you're blessing an elder, one of the elders, to take a sabbatical and get rest with his family. That's healthy. That's be- Churches need to be doing that. You guys are modeling what a good church should do as Jesus is the head. Um, so all the things, all the things, you're healthy, you're, you're growing, and God has wonderful things in store for Indelible Grace Church. So be encouraged. Uh, Wade will tell you my love language is words of affirmation. So um, I love you. I'm trying to say that. Um, and, I mean, and I mean every word that God is at work and be encouraged, church. So um, this week is, um, there's, uh, oh no, today is Super Bowl Sunday, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know anything about football, uh, but I do enjoy Doritos. So that's pretty much the only reason this thing exists. Because there are 19 flavors of Doritos and I like all of them. And so I'm going to, so one of the things I wanted to tell you in saying this is that after church, I'm leaving immediately. I won't help with chairs. Um, some of you are like, well, you never do anyway. I get it. I'm, I'm leaving directly after church because we're going up to paradise where my grandson lives. Um, he doesn't live by himself. He's only three, but he lives with my daughter. And, uh, so we're going, we're going straight there and I want to get there so that I can start eating Doritos with them, um, for whatever is happening after that. So that's why I'll be just like right after. And then also I realized that this week, as I was just looking at the calendar, um, and really that's the only reason, is it's Valentine's Day. One of the days this week is coming up, and it's Valentine's Day. And also a holiday or something created by a card company that makes a lot of money during this season, just like Doritos makes a lot of money during the Super Bowl. You know, it's... Am I saying it's all about consumerism and about... I mean, kind of. I am kind of saying that. However... I do want to say this about Valentine's Day coming up, because it doesn't happen on a Sunday, so I have to say it now, is that obviously Valentine's Day is a hard time for some people. Um, it can be a hard time for people who are married. 
It can be a hard time for people who are in relationships. It can be a very hard time for people who are single. Um, it can be a hard time in general for human beings. And it's so weird because it's a hallmark, comp- you know. It, however, I'm not making light of it in that if uh, you're with someone and you're celebrating being together in a good I mean, that's great. Do that, do that all the time. Do that all the time. But I guess as a church, I want to encourage us as believers in Jesus to be aware that all these things that happen around us are not always the easy thing for everyone. So just be aware of that. I'm just asking for awareness. I'm, I'm encouraging you. You're, you're like, Tom, we get it. So just, I'm telling myself, I need to be aware. Um, I just need to be aware that people are in all sorts of situations. And even as we look at Hannah's story in 1 Samuel, if you have your Bible, um, as Chris is reading, hopefully you were there either on your phone or if you brought your Bible, great. Um, I mean, there are sensitive things here. I mean, Hannah, uh, and we didn't get, uh, Chris didn't read this part of the story, but Hannah was barren. And there's so much barrenness throughout the Old Testament. We were looking at that in Genesis. I mean, it just, infertility is something that's, happening in modern day. It was in the ancient world. It's something that's, it's, it's part of living in uh, this world and this life. So uh, I'm done with Valentine's Day, Super Bowl. I've got those. Okay, good. So I want us to back up a little bit and look at Hannah's story. Again, I asked you to turn to 1 Samuel 1. If you have your Bibles, you can maybe use your phone. Oh, I did forget one thing. Um, Wait, did you get that email from somebody in our presbytery uh, showing that article in the Atlantic? Anyway, yeah, so if you read the Atlantic, which I sometimes do, um, I'm up on my, I had like a free trial. Anyway, so um, there's a brand new article that just came out by Tim Keller, and he's a pastor in our denomination, but it doesn't matter if he's in our denomination. He's a a great pastor. He's a, a godly person. Please pray for Tim Keller. He has pancreatic cancer. But um, he was able to write in the Atlantic and just really blurt out the gospel, like so blatantly. Um, you know, it's almost like the Atlantic, you know, don't, don't they get who he is? But one of the things that I wanted to uh, share about that article, and it does have to do with my sermon. You're like, please, God in heaven, have something to do with your sermon. I know that. But he has, the article is about, Tim Keller believes that revival in Christianity is possible in our country. Um, And you're like, what's wrong with Christianity in our country? Um, It it needs revival. Um, And so he he lays all that out in the article. But he he kind of summarizes in three three things that can bring revival about for Christianity in this country. Would you like to hear those three things unless you read the article? Um, I was supposed to bring my phone up uh, because I have it on my phone. But hopefully I can remember the the one that he has out of the three things that could bring revival to Christianity in our country is guess what prayer and he he says extraordinary prayer so you might know it at Indelible Grace Church we've just started a series on prayer Wade preached on prayer out of Psalm 145 last week praying praise I'm preaching on prayer eventually I'm going to be preaching on prayer um, from First Samuel one. And here Tim Keller in a brand new article in the Atlantic says one of the ways revival can happen, he believes, and I am on board with him, is extraordinary prayer. Extraordinary prayer. I'll be thinking about that. But I want you to be thinking about that. The other thing, there are two, two other things, but I'm only going to give you one other one. He said Christianity could be revived in our country if the gospel could be distinguished from moralism. I'll let you sit on that for a second. 
Because that is my heartbeat, is that the gospel is not moralism. The gospel is not better behaviors coming out of people. The gospel is not us getting together so that we can... I mean, we talk about repentance and confession. We talked about it in the member class. All part of the gospel. But we are not about being moral elites in our culture, in our church. We're not... In fact, the reason we're here is because we're not moral elitists. We're, in fact, the opposite. We're in need of the grace of Christ desperately. And if we're moral elites, if that's truly who we are, Christ did not need to die. So, sorry, didn't mean to get on, didn't start yelling already. But I I agree with Tim Keller on all the points, but those two especially. Extraordinary prayer and a church, and we're going to try to be a church that way, and we, the church is that way, the way this church has been from its inception. The gospel is not moralism. It is Christ and him alone, and he's the only one who saves, and he changes and transforms his people. So would you pray with me, and then I'll preach. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the ability to gather in this place, the freedom. Lord, would you revive Christianity in America? Lord, do that. Uh, Hear our prayers. Whether they're extraordinary, Lord, we know you're an extraordinary God. And we look to you. Our eyes are on you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. Okay, so Hannah's story begins with her husband. In chapter 1 of 1 Samuel, um, her husband's name is Elkanah. And he had two wives. So yeah, there's polygamy in the ancient Near East. And one of the reasons I like hearing about polygamy in the Old Testament is because it It was a reality. It is still a reality around the world. And it shows that this ancient text that we have before us in the modern world in the 21st century at this church in the Bay Area, that it's true. I mean, the Bible's not trying to say, oh, there wasn't, you know, we're going to whitewash polygamy or say, no, there was polygamy in the ancient Near East. And here it is. We're, We're seeing it. Penina and Hannah were the wives of Elkanah. And they had traveled a distance to go worship the Lord, it says in the first few verses of chapter 1. And let me just give you a tiny bit of context. Um, God's people in 1 Samuel were not doing well. They were, they were wayward. Um, there was needing to be a revival of God's people in this day. So when Elkanah and his wives, Penina and Hannah were traveling this distance to go to the temple to worship and make their sacrifices to God. They were traveling a long distance and they were actually doing something extraordinary at the time because God's people were very wayward. If you remember the time of the judges, really bad time for God's people. It's sort of the dark days for God's people. And so this is kind of the dark days for God's people here. Alcana, his wives, Hannah and Penina, they were actually the good ones. So they go uh, to worship together. They do that on an annual way to worship God. They run across this priest, as we read, named Eli. Eli had two sons, by the way, named Hophni and Phineas. Anybody name your kids that recently? Hophni or Phineas? Um, those were the worst sons ever. And Eli was not a good dad. So already, again, this is why I love scripture. The scripture never sets things up with the greatest people in the world. It's God's people are not the greatest people in the world. They are the, they are the ones who get the greatest grace, it seems, because they are usually not really wonderful people. Eli, high priest here, not a great guy. Didn't raise great sons. 
wasn't a great father, looks at Hannah, who's actually pouring out her heart to God at the temple. He, she's pouring it out and he thinks she's drunk. Have you never seen people pray, Eli? Have you just got no idea what it looks like to see someone really pouring it out? Apparently not. You're a drunk lady. You should go about your business. Poor Hannah. Okay, so you got Eli. And let me just give you some dynamics in the first chapter uh, with Penina. She's a horrible person, really. She has children. Hannah does not. And Penina, having children, not being barren in the ancient Near East, in the ancient world, um, she lords that over Hannah. She actually does it in a way that vexes Hannah, that causes her to be sad. Right here in 1 Samuel chapter 1 is, in my opinion, one of the first bullies of the Bible. There are a lot of bullies in Scripture. But here is Penina, who is a bully. She is literally bullying Hannah because she can't have kids and you know, she can't. Isn't it awful? I mean, that's just, I mean, we should be sad that these things happen, and we know they continue to happen today in our modern world. There, I mean... There's so many anti-bullying campaigns that go on, and here it's, it's in Scripture. There was bullying happening. So Penina is, is making Hannah irritated, vexed, sad. She makes Hannah grieve. And then Elkanah, the husband, right? He's such a, hmm. Okay, he's a good guy, but again, I love Scripture because He's one of the good guys at this time when the, the people of God were struggling. He's, he's going and worshiping God. He's making the journey. He's making the sacrifices. But what he says to Hannah in her vexation, in her sadness, is a typical husband, it seems like. He says, Hannah, don't worry that you haven't had any kids. Am I not greater to you than ten sons? No, Elkanah, no. You're not. I mean... Are y'all getting the irony of it, you know, that he's just saying to her, don't be sad, you have me. You don't need sons, you got me. She's like, yeah. Yeah, and you also married Penina. <laughs> so, I mean, there's, there's hard things happening here. These characters in Scripture, you can't make them up. Again, the Bible is full of fascinating stories that are true. Just remind you of that which is one of the reasons we love children's ministry. You're like, oh, he's making a plug for children. Yeah, I am. But the true stories in Scripture, they're fascinating, they're amazing, and they're all about Christ. They're all about Him. And you're like, well, you haven't said a word about Jesus, Tom. And you know, he's got Elkanah, this you know, kind of good, not-so-awesome you know, guy with the two wives and Penina, a horrible person, and Hannah, this vexed, sad woman who's like a drunk praying at the... You know, where's Jesus in all of this? Well, first, I, I know that when we read stories, and the Bible, it's stories, but these are true narratives. But I know when we read narratives, when we, we read Scripture, we're looking for ourselves. Who do we resonate with from this text? So think about it for a second. You know, I've tried to lay out a few things about Elkanah, okay, this husband, this man in the ancient Near East who was trying to do right by, by the God Yahweh, the God of the universe, who had made a covenant with God's people. But he also had 
uh, these wives, one barren, one not, and he is a little short-sighted when it comes to Hannah, even if he makes a double portion for her when he makes sacrifices, because the scriptures say that, hey, Hannah, I'm greater than ten sons, and I'm also giving you a double portion over Penina. It says in the first chapter there also. So, and a double portion, by the way, is um, what that means is he's sort of doubling her inheritance, you know, so that maybe when he's gone one day, she'll get more maybe than Penina because she's got all those kids anyway. Um, but anyway, so who are you in this text? Which one of these real people that lived in the ancient Near East that Scripture is presenting to us this morning, who do you resonate with? You know, Elkanah, the, the kind of middle of the road, he's okay, but he's really got some short-sightedness. Are you Hannah, where you're just like, yeah, I am... I feel barren in my life. Maybe you're having infertility issues. I don't know. Maybe maybe you're completely like her because you're so sad and irritated by things that have happened in your life. Clearly not your fault. Other people have bullied you. Other people are bringing anxiety into your life. You had, and you're just, you've just had it. You're, 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 you're really resonating with her. Or maybe, maybe you're Penina. You know, well, Tom, I don't resonate with her. Well, I mean, I, I do. I resonate with her. I mean, there are times where, you know, I think about my own siblings and I will, you know, my own family. I, because this is a family situation. I feel like I've done things like Penina. I've said things. I've, I've bullied my own siblings. Or I talk about them in ways that aren't honoring to God or them. Even if I think they deserve it. You know... We're, we all have Penina-like tendencies. I don't know if y'all have noticed about the modern 21st century, but we're pretty judgy. We're a judgy kind of culture. Um, when somebody's having a bad day in Target, I am very judgy. I'm like, you need to get your stuff together. You need to get a hold of your kids. You know, like, I have so many things to judge people about when I'm out in public. And here's the thing. That I'm telling myself, like, I know I'm trying to deal with my own issues here, but maybe you can listen in for a second. You know, Tom, you have no idea what somebody's going through. You have no idea what's happened in their life. You have no idea why people are doing the things they're doing. You can think you know, but we don't. Apparently, Penina didn't know how deep the wound was. I mean, you would think if she did, as a human being, that she would have backed off a bit. She didn't. And I have to put myself there sometimes and think, if I'm truly the human being that I think that I am, if I see somebody really struggling in Target, that I might step back and go, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what their spouse said to them today. I don't know what their kids are really going through. I don't know what their job they're finding. I don't know anything. And I'm just judge, judge, you know. So Penina, Hannah... Elkanah, these real people, the scriptures paint them very candidly, very, we have to resonate with them on some level. Again, let me just, let me say a real pastor thing. The Bible has relevance, like over the top relevance for you and me. It's, It's like, it's so over the top relevant for us because we're all throughout it. Every time we read, like, we're here over and over again. I'm just faced with myself again and again. What about Eli, last, last one to resonate with? Some of you, I saved him for the last because some of you think you are the high priest. I get it. 
you know, you're the high priest in your family, you're the Eli. Um, but Eli was not doing his job. He was not being the spiritual leader that he should have been. He was not reading anything rightly. And here, I'll just say it. Churches are full of Eli's. They're full, and not just the pastors, not just the elders, they're full of people who don't read things properly. They're spiritual people, believers, who are just misreading everything. They're saying, oh, well, they're drunken out of it, when really they're just sad and in prayer. We, there are Eli's throughout our churches that are just missing it all together. And thank God that Hannah speaks up. And she's like, no, sir. <laughs> she was nice to him. It's ancient Near East, I guess. You know, women were still kind of getting their thing together. But she, I mean, she said, no, sir, I'm not drunk. I'm sad. And I'm pouring out my heart to God. I'm not going to put away my wine, <laughs> silly Eli. I'm going to keep pouring out my libation to God. So when people are misreading you, and I'm just going to say in church at Indelible Grace, because we're a church just like every other church, we've all misread each other. We've all misread things. People have left misreading things. I mean, we have to trust God with it. I mean, he's sovereign. He does his thing. People stay misreading things. All of it. We misread. We misunderstand. We are Eli all over the place. All right, so I did my job. Who do you resonate with? Elkanah, Penina, Hannah, Eli. I gave you some ideas. I don't know how you find yourself. And I so want to just leave us there. I so want to just say, sit with yourself. Because I had to sit with this text for two weeks. I had to find every day I would be like, oh, Penina, stop it. You know, oh, no. You know, I, I kept finding myself. People of God, Indelible Grace Church, Christ Jesus meets, meets you in every one of these resonations. If you feel like you're Hannah, Today, if you're like, I am barren, I am sad, I am vexed, it's not my fault. Jesus Christ says, I'm your, I'm your husband. And I take your barrenness and it is no more. You've got the family of God. You have all the siblings. You have all the children you want. Jesus says, I'm your good husband. And I am better than ten sons, says Jesus Christ rightly to, to you, if you feel like Hannah today. Christ meets you. He offers a double inheritance, a double portion. Not, no, a million times, an infinite proportion to you. If you feel like Hannah, Jesus Christ says, my Hannahs, I'm offering you an, an infinite inheritance with myself. I give you myself. If you feel like you're the bullying Penina, Christ meets you. He's like, I get it. We all don't understand. Jesus gets it. He was not understood, and guess what happened to him? People didn't just lead the church. They nailed him to a cross. So for, 
For bullying, Jesus understands it. He was bullied to the point of death. Christ meets you. If you are that bully, Christ says, it's okay. I take it. You can sit in me. I take it all. And I welcome you. Christ meets you as the great high priest. He is the high priest who when he sees you, he doesn't see some distressed, drunk person who doesn't know what in the world they're doing at the temple. He sees you. He he knows exactly your story. He knows your desperation. He knows where you're at. He knows you haven't prayed in a while. He knows that you're asking him about the same thing. He knows you're repenting over the same thing. He knows you're not confessing what you need to. He knows it all. He is the best high priest. He is the one high priest that you need, that I need. That's what Hebrews 10 reminds us of all throughout Scripture in the New Testament. Jesus is that high priest. He is that husband. He is that one that meets us wherever we are so that when we leave church on Sunday, if, if we can gather around the gospel, which Hannah brings the gospel to us so plainly, we can leave church unvexed, joyful, not sad anymore. You know, one of the things that's wonderful about this text is at the end of it in verse 18, Eli says, um, go your way, go in peace. And then he says, let your, uh, let your servant find favor in your eyes. And the woman went her way and ate. Okay, so she's praying. And at the end, it says her face was no longer sad. So if we as a church this morning, just today, can rise up out of this place and have vestiges or visages that are joyful because of what Christ has done for us. We've been to church. We've been to church. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for the gospel. Lord, we all stand before you as needy people. And in Delible Grace Church, we just ask that you would continue to transform us, that you would draw people uh, to this church so that they might hear the gospel, be loved by your people here, that they might find hope and belonging, all because of you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.